The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hello and welcome to Flow. I'm Jessica. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist, and today we have the great and powerful Amy Board in the house from Bloodstream Media. We love all their shows. And we're going to talk about a poll we conducted with a group of women in the bleeding disorders community. But first, we all want to know, how's your flow? Welcome once again to Flow. We start a flow with a quick check-in to normalize the reality of menstruation. So here we go. Sarah, how's your flow? Hey, hi. I think I'm in my luteal phase, feeling extra spicy today. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yay. So we like spicy. Yeah. How about we you? Like spicy. I know. Spicy Sarah is a fun time. The best time. <laughs> um, I am definitely like very close to ovulating. Okay. Oh. Yeah. yeah. All right. Watch out, world. Here it comes. Yeah. All right. Here it comes. I just finished. <gasps> ovulating or menstruating? Menstruating. Okay. But uh, still have the IUD situation, mm -hmm. so it was fairly mild this go, but felt like the heat rising all over my body with the hormones, Ugh. you know, is, Yeah. Yeah, do y'all get things. night sweats? Yes. I do. I get big time night Me sweats. Too. Yeah. Like yeah. change the sheets. It's disgusting. Like change the sheets. Yeah. Nice. Like you can't wear or those like pajamas twice. No. Can't wear those. Yeah. Now it's I have reduced what I sleep in. And I like to be cozy and now it's almost naked. I mean, yeah. I, I it feels like a Bikram yoga class has ended, but I just am like opening my eyes. Doing some good work in, in my sleep is what I'm trying to get at. Get yeah. it. I feel you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, today on Flow, we're going to talk about podiatry. Just kidding. We're going to talk about extreme menstruation, but first we're going to take a quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. Hi, my name is Nicole. I didn't always feel empowered to speak up for myself or ask for the care and support I needed. Becoming part of a community and hearing other people's experiences helped to change my perspective. That's why my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear my story and access other helpful resources, drop by Von Bendy, that's V-O-N-B-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. We are back on Flow. What a beautiful day with Amy Board here flowing with us. Yay. Amy, we want to know more about how your flow brought you to helping create flow. Mm -hmm. um, we have this poll we conducted with an amazing group of women in the bleeding disorders community. You have a connection to women in the bleeding disorders community. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I am not personally affected mm -hmm. with a bleeding disorder. Um, hello, flowers out there. Yay. I know you've heard my voice before a little bit, but I'm so happy to be back. Um, 
I was connected through uh, like a family friend back in the day, like 2003. So I have been in the bleeding disorder community for several decades, Um, was a camp person, uh, ran the Colorado chapter of the National Hemophilia Foundation for about seven years and then came here to Believe. Um, So that's how I am kind of involved in the community. And here at Believe, you are, of course, um, the host, one of the hosts of one of my favorite morning shows. (laughs) Bloodstream. <laughs> yes. If the, you are in the bleeding yeah. disorder community, you should listen to the Bloodstream podcast. It's it's a hoot. It's a delight. It's, a it's we love it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the it's the titular program from Bloodstream Media, which yeah. is an organization that does wonderful work in rare disease mm-hmm. podcasting, educational, mm-hmm. infotainment style. Get your data, you know, yep. get your info from Bloodstream. Love it. Um so um, if this is for all of us to check in before we geek out on the poll, what made us want to geek out on menstruation or what drew you to want to talk about specifically in the bleeding disorders community, but also in general, the draw to focus on menstrual health? What brought you here? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start because I'm the guest. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it, Amy. Please tell us. Um, no, I think... What was so intriguing about this show in particular, and Sarah, feel free to... yeah you know, uh, have your thoughts on some of this. But I feel like women in the bleeding disorder community were talked at Mm. just like the men in the bleeding disorder community. So we had the same lingo. Mm -hmm. We had the same type of um, discussions about treatment and symptoms and all of those things. It was, you know, real, real, I don't know, kind of tertiary uh, in terms of the education. And no one just talked about menstrual cycles about periods Mm -hmm. and women who um are affected by a bleeding disorder um have other symptoms other than their menstrual cycles i will say so we shouldn't like negate some of those other symptoms but where women experience monthly bleeding obviously it just doesn't get talked about in I don't know, any type of way that breaks the barrier where it's not shame-filled, it's not embarrassing. And, you know, menstrual cycles, you know, as a whole, we don't, we don't talk about it. That's why we created this show, so we can, like, talk about, like, full tilt, talk about it. When we first started the show, I mentioned way back in the day with Jay Rich how impactful this was for me and my mother, really. We never, we, right. we, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Just in our, in my relationship, in, in my friendships, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I become a different person when I menstruate. We all know this. Mm. We talked about, like, you know, the rage mm-hmm. or whatever you get, you know. And, and we don't talk about it. So that was my um, kind of passion about this project. I really wanted women in the community in particular with extreme menstrual cycles to have a place where we just talk about it without any shame. Mm. Um, and we can really dive deep into that. And I think for this community, um, it's just a space where we can facilitate conversation. Yes, yes, yes. Ooh. Oh, following that. Lovely. Um, <laughs> I love it. Sarah. <laughs> I, would, I, I would absolutely piggyback on everything that you said, Amy. And we, but I remember being at Hemophilia Summer Camp and one of the girls in my cabin, and I believe I was 11 or 12, and she got her first period. And remembering, I was like, what is happening? Like, 
what's going on with this particular cabin mate? And these are new. Like, I did not know this person. She was new to me. And thinking like she wasn't doing anything and she was in a lot of pain and we weren't really, no one was being like, this is what's going on, right? When we should have been taken mm. to the health center in this, or, you know, and at because we had a health center um, at that time and most hemophilia camps do. And she'd been like, hey girls, this is what's going on. Like you, your fellow cabin mate is bleeding excessively and it's really painful. Mm. Don't be scared about it. She's okay, but this is what's going on. But no one talked about it. And then throughout my Ugh. time, right, in years of going to camp, we never talked about it there mm. and mm. was definitely not talked about. And we pride ourselves on this education that we offer our community, right? But this is a giant missing piece. And it yes. wasn't at these meetings either. Like I would go to these national meetings and we just started. I mean, I feel like it's just, but maybe, you know, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but really having like, hey, here's a track for women to like figure out and yeah. go get this information. But even in that track, no one's talking about it. We just started talking about sex. Like, yeah. And we're not talking about menstruation either. So it's, I like to, you know, I like to dive into the things that are really important, which is menstruation, intimacy, and pleasure, because that, like, are some of the core things that everyone should is experiencing in some way or another. Um, even if you're not right. a menstruator, you know someone who menstruates. So why are we not talking about periods? And so to have the opportunity to talk about both of those things for our community mm -hmm. and the community at large, our amazing listeners, I mean, could anything be better? Well, yeah. and so you kind of mentioned this, but what has changed? Because you have now been in the bleeding disorders community with the desire to communicate more. And we're now in, going into year four of flow. Yeah. What has changed in conversation around menstrual realities? I think that it's, well, it's happening, right? Like it, it's kind mm -hmm. of, ha we're, you, we are doing this on, on our platform. Mm -hmm. I think there's, and Amy, you'll probably have to speak to this because I haven't been to a meeting in a, a little bit, but um an annual big national meeting, I should say. Um, we're finally getting some tracks, like we're getting this women's track and like how to do this. But I still think that there is some hesitation. Um, but there, there's a white paper that just came out um, and we can talk more about that in just a minute. But like it's focused on women. So I'm really interested. I have not read it. Disclosure, full disclosure, have not read it. Um, but with the, I believe the hype is and the um, the hope of that paper is to really have focus for women um, and what we need to do. So I think that's a huge change. But it's also what it's just the slow motion of it makes me kind of ragey. Yeah, slow the slow motion of the change that's that is happening. So it is happening. It's it's happening. Yes, slowly. I think I think the biggest hurdle right now and. Uh, community, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the biggest hurdle is in our clinician space. Yeah. I think having women with bleeding disorders being taken seriously, having their symptoms being taken seriously um, in terms of treatment options is a huge barrier that I think we're all trying to deal with. Mm -hmm. How to advocate for yourself in that room, how to be believed in that room. I cannot begin mm -hmm. to tell you how many friends of mine in the Colorado community women had 
suspected bleeding issues and were told that that wasn't the case. These bleeds were in joints. Um, A lot of them weren't even, you know, period related, maybe because they didn't even think that their period was abnormal because, you know, their entire family line bled that way. Mm -hmm. So is it normal? Is it not? But I think, you know, women in general have a harder time being believed in a doctor's office. But here in the community, we are really fighting that battle. Um, You know, I think women with von Willebrand's disease have been fighting this battle for a while. And now women who have been designated as hemophilia carriers, now we're starting to uh, be tested, obviously, for their levels, and they're at a mild hemophilia level. Mm. They should not be called carriers. They have mild hemophilia. Mm -hmm. So if they have mild hemophilia, Mm -hmm. you should be treated like a mild hemophiliac. Mm -hmm. And that is not happening consistently. Why? Because there is this And Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, there is this clinical mindset that women do not have hemophilia. Yep. Yep. They are carriers of the gene. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're symptomatic. Yeah. But their levels show, and it's science, it's numbers. It's literally numbers. Like we can, it's it's math. Hemophilia, then that means they should be treated as such. And the standard of care. In the world and the globe, if you have mild hemophilia as a man, mm-hmm. you should have clotting factor uh. on hand at any given time of day or night. So you have some in your fridge. Yep. You might not have to infuse, you know, regularly, like a severe or moderate uh, man with hemophilia, but you should have some on hand. And getting that prescribed and getting that covered by insurance companies is a nightmare. A complete for women nightmare. Who have mild hemophilia. Women who have mild hemophilia bleed once a month. Men who have mild hemophilia don't. <laughs> we have no treatment options or treatment procedure about periods of women with mild hemophilia. There is a contingent, if that's a word, I don't know, of people, of clinicians, of Mm -hmm. advocates who are rising to the occasion for this. It's getting larger and larger Mm -hmm. and larger. But as Sarah said, it's a small little train. Hats off to the physicians who are leading the charge on this. There is Mm -hmm. peer-reviewed medical papers on this. Um, this This is... a growing advocacy concern for our community. It warms my heart that the older generation of men with hemophilia are actually becoming more and more vocal and involved in this. Mm -hmm. They have seen the gaps and the disparity of care. And that generation, our HIV-tainted blood history generation, is like, oh, we should use our might of... You know, they're they're being true allies in this and really, you know, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say leading the fight, but man, they are a huge vocal advocate of this, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. But this is something that will continue for the next, you know, five, 10 years in terms of changing how we clinically 
you know, relate to our women, especially with mild hemophilia. hundred percent. So I'm I'm hearing that there's both the learned silence of women mm-hmm. not speaking up for what's happening or seeing, knowing that it's yes. nor- not normal to have certain yes. symptomatic experiences. Yes. And then I'm hearing that there's like a flat earther situation going on in the science community <laughs> of yeah. like, no, that's just that's not true. true. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, yes. the right. data is like, that is true. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. That's pretty wild. Yeah. That sounds like a mental health challenge more than a. It is insane. It's pretty nuts. Well, I would say even for. Talk about not calling things crazy. Yeah. But that's nuts. I did not have factor in my fridge until I was 35 years old. And that was because I was pregnant. It's insane. That you were then allowed to get factor. Yeah. That it was like, hey, Sarah, you should have this at home for your treatment. And I think I've shared before on the. I went through multiple multiple treatment centers to get my diagnosis even though the multiple freaking number is right there right it's right here hey you're between 18 and 25 like this is this is the amount of factor that you have and mild by the way is anything under 50 so is anything under 50 Well, and there's also this being mild but bleeding like a severe that came up in yes. this poll conducting this group of women we connected the poll with. That yes. many bleed like a spicy, bleed like a severe. So just because the data says mild, good, Correct. that means a diagnosis, but your treatment's actually needed for symptoms that seem right. like the numbers are lying. Mm. Yes. Seem like there's more treatment needed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is something that I'm not an expert on, but I do just think it's like interesting that if you have numbers in the mild range and you are a woman, you are a person who menstruates, you know, what does that mean for your menstrual cycle? Right. You know, maybe you don't bleed like a severe into your joints all the time. Not say some some 100% they do. But like, what does that do to your menstrual cycle? That should be taken into account. Right. And, you know, we use hormone therapy, I think, for you know, extreme menstrual cycles, extreme periods. And is there another way of treatment that won't interact with our female hormone system? Mm -hmm. It just seems to me like, you know, Mm -hmm. factor is a replacement therapy. Right. It's not, you know, dealing with, you know, it's not curbing symptoms. It's literally a replacement therapy. Right. Feels like a duh. And I know it's, and I know it's expensive. It's expensive to the system. I understand that. yes. But, like, we're worth it. <laughs> we're the well, ones who bring right. other people to the earth. I mean, come on. I mean, if men can do it. We can do it. I, it can't be that hard. It can do it being getting factor treatment. If they can get the factor treatment, yes. they can do it too. And yeah. they do, you know. Yes. If you are a man and you have mild hemophilia, if you have the levels that Sarah has, you have factor in your fridge. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you have a car accident. Yep. If you if you play basketball and you get a knee bleed, yep. Sarah, do you have any memories uh, as a child or as a teenager, as a young woman, where you're like, I bet that was a knee bleed, or I bet that was a joint bleed? Oh, one thousand yeah. percent. Uh, so yeah. I I can I can list off several right now. Broke my nose when I was in third grade. Fell, sh- you know, I was trying to be cool, y'all, and I fell straight <laughs> off of the monkey bars to the dirt and. Yeah, I am. Should have been treated yes. immediately. Queen bruising <laughs> everywhere. I mm. believe that, and this is just my understanding of self, but I had so many bloody noses in elementary school that I would be sent. So I would start bleeding in class, and they're like, "Go to the bathroom." I was in the bathroom forever 
And so much mm. time was lost in the classroom that it impacted my learning. where I was not getting all of the information and no one was like, hey, we should do something about this. Oh, Sarah. Yeah. And that was almost all of my element. I don't think my bloody noses really stopped until like early 20s. So absolutely. 100%. 100%. And would I I wouldn't have bled had I had treatment. Right. Like it wouldn't have yes. been or it wouldn't have been as long. Right. I wouldn't have missed yes. so much school. I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have missed school. Right. No. Mm-mm. And then your wonderful knowledge could continue to expand at even a higher level. And you give back so much of that knowledge <laughs> in the pleasure, intimacy and whatnot departments. So then why is it taking so long to get the treatment accessible? Why is it moving so slowly? If we know the earth is not flat, why is it taking so long to tell people that women need factor? Oof. I don't know if I'm smart enough to answer that. I don't know if I am either. I th- I think, you know, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I think women in general have a hard time being believed in the doctor's office. Yeah. You know, we could go back to all of the things, hysteria mm-hmm. and all of all of the things. Um I've I've witnessed it. I I was a part of our clinical HTC hemophilia treatment center. Um, system as a program person for years before I went over to our nonprofit. And I I witnessed it around the table with really good people. Mm-hmm. It, it was just not something that people believed. And the women and the mothers who were very vocal and about advocating um, were deemed as problems. Yeah, of course. And so they went somewhere else. They had to go somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, hi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a mindset change, and I don't, I don't understand clinically what the deal is, Sarah. Maybe you uh, do from a systems perspective, but I, I think what comes to mind is it, you know, when it, you, it's a mindset. It's also how are we educating these future hematologists? Right. Like call. they get about 12 seconds. Right. You know, a paragraph or two maybe in med school about hemophilia. Um, but I, I was literally just sitting with a um, a person, a physician who is in his residency this past weekend at a hemophilia event and was like when we were just chit chatting, getting to know everybody. And he's like, so how are you affiliated? Because I was not from this particular region. And he's like, and I, so I shared my relationship and then shared my diagnosis. And he's like, what, you have mild hemophilia? And I was like, yes, I sure do. Like, and then we went on to have a longer discussion about why that is. And so this person coming from, he's, he is going to be a physician but couldn't and has a bleeding disorder himself, couldn't wrap it around right away that, oh, that makes sense. Until I was like, well, my factor level, you know, ranges between 18 and 25. This is what I've experienced. Yeah. And he was so sweet. Like, don't give me, he was so, so sweet. But this is, this is someone who's fresh out of med school, right? He's in his residency. It was not long ago. So I think it's how we are educating providers and then the continuing education and these 
these organizations and these meetings that we have, specifically MASAC, we were speaking about these tracks where these meetings where they go, these physicians go and have this amazing meeting and learn all about things, but they are not hearing from the consumer or their patients, right? Mm. They are just talking to each other. And I, I think and that's I part of the problem. I do too. And I don't think, so MASAC is the, ooh, I'm going to, it's the Medical Advisory Scientific Medical Advisory Board of the National Bleeding Disorders Foundation. Okay. Medical, <laughs> yeah. The ACP. It's something, at. yeah, it's something cooler than that. I, Medical and Scientific Advisory Council. There we yes. go. Great. Guaranteed there was a listener that was like, Amy, you butchered that. <laughs> It's great. It's okay. There's a lot of it's great. There. It's I fine. Do. It's fine. It's totally cool. I also, you know, they issue quote unquote recommendations mm-hmm. of how we treat things in terms of building standard of care. In the medical community, standard of care is a very yes. important thing. Mm-hmm. And so they are trying to change that standard of care for mild hemophilia mm-hmm. in women and people who menstruate. Um, so that is, so that is a thing. Uh, if you go to FAIR, their organization, which is the grassroots organization, um, for women, uh, who have bleeding disorders, there is, you can sign on actually to several MASAC recommendations. Like this is a recommendation that we should, um, you know, propel a little bit for. We, we agree with this. So that's something we can put in the program notes. That is, that is all good. Um, they've they've uh, come out with several recommendations about women with von Willebrand's disease in terms of treatment. All of that stuff is very helpful, but truly, women, this is a this is a advocacy fight with you and your physician mm-hmm. on a monthly basis when you go in there. Mm. So, you know, I think I think that organization, the FAIR organization, has a lot of resources on their website that can help you go in and feel very prepared um, at your um, at your appointment. Um, this is something that I think is fascinating. A physician, and I don't know if y'all told me this or somebody else told me this, um, or Jeanette did on the on the last mm. um, episode, but I thought this was fascinating. Um, there was a physician that recommended women who have taken their son's clotting factor to treat their own bleeding, which happens all the yep. time. Mm-hmm. So if you if you are a mother and you have a child who has hemophilia, I can't begin to tell you. This has been like since the dawn of time. Women wow. have taken their son's mm-hmm. clotting factor and just mm-hmm. did a dose when they have obviously had a knee bleed and couldn't get treatment or something. Mm-hmm. This physician says, document every single time you have done that and go into your doctor. That is a very counterintuitive thing. You would think that you would not want to mention that to the doctor. Right. But in terms of documenting your bleeding history, Mm. that is very important. Mm. If you document like your um, your menstrual bleeding, how long, how many pads you go through and just be like document it with a with a binder it's a whole lot of extra work but like i don't know we have to do this to be taken seriously right i was gonna say typical right we have to do we have to do 17 hours of homework before a doctor will take us seriously i hate it same (laughs) hate is inappropriate Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry i could go all day about this and i don't even i don't 
even have a diagnosis. But it's it's just it's just very pervasive. Right. I think that I would add into remembering every time you walk into that office that you are the expert on your body. Just because there is a, right. phys- a a doctor in the room with you does not mean they understand your experience. How many physicians out there, I would love to, I'm sure there's a number here, but how many other physicians that you're going to see, how many hematologists are actually have hemophilia? And are women yes. with hemophilia? I don't I don't know if there is yes. one. I'm I would love to know if there is. Where are you? Find us, call us, DM us. We'll look for you. Yeah. Hello, where is she? Um, but you are the and expert, not the doctor. Yes. And find your advocate in the hemophilia treatment center system. Yes. So it might be a nurse, it might be a nurse practitioner, it might be the social worker, it might be the PT. Find your advocate and you know, choose your fighter and have those conversations. Also, my mother, who has uh, multiple chronic diseases, bless her heart, she has, over her experience as a woman in the medical system, slowly started to say, every time I go into the physician's office, I am I'm the one making the decisions. Yes. So not necessarily like... You know, I mean, obviously, it's a relationship between you and your physician, but I can fire this physician mm-hmm. at any time. Yes, like, I am interviewing them. Like, are you going to be a part of my care team? Right. So we don't feel like we have those options in our HTCs because right. of the specialty. But let's be really creative with how we do that. Maybe you do have some options mm-hmm. in, in some states. You could go to different treatment centers. Maybe you can see somebody else in another state if you can figure that out with your insurance. Maybe, again, choose your fighter. You know, you know, is, is the nurse, is the PT, is the social worker someone who's going to take you seriously and advocate for you all the way to the top? Um, play the system. Yep. Enter Mortal Kombat sound effect here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Here's hoping that actually happens, Jay Rich. (laughs) (laughs) It will happen, Amy. Don't you worry. Come on. Great. 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 This is flow. This is flow. This is flow. We love those things. We do. And we do like to talk about extreme things that are also sometimes swept under the rug, um, which includes extreme dismissal, specifically for people with black and brown skin. Why? Because bruising and swelling is less it's more difficult to see right right do you have experience of yeah patient stories including in the group that we pulled before this episode we heard some tales of that um we also heard of some family lore and some myths uh Mm. so apparently and sharing this as you know the tradition of technology is new in our life but technology helps us connect with people with different self-prescribed treatment plans and apparently one family uses warm jello mm. what eating warm jello now that get <laughs> cooking it making it up instead of letting it set sipping the warm liquid has helped her reduce her menstrual bleeding it's a self-prescribed treatment plan i'm just here delivering the message but let us know if you try it's it it's not been scientifically backed i just got to say that too that it, i yeah i'm mm. feels like a lot of sugar oh <laughs> yeah is it regular Fair. jello is it sugar free what do you do Oh, but that's got aspartame. That's ah, shit. Yeah. Well, but if it stops your bleeding, no. a little aspartame to hey, stop the, the joint problem. I was problem? about to say. I mean. Yeah, to each his own. Yeah. Yeah. But I like it. Well, and I don't know about the joint pain, but specifically menstrually speaking, oh. that's been something that's worked. Mm, right. So we're going to. I mean, hey. Independent study on that. Aspartame, for sure, over gushing. 
yeah. inking as we are. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an octopus. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this family, not family lore, but this lore that apparently has more offshoots than I knew of redheads having more extreme menstrual cycles. Have you heard this mythology? I am I am a redhead. I am a strawberry blonde. And I haven't heard the menstrual cycle thing. I've heard mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. You've heard other stuff. Can you speak for all redheads now and tell us if they're true? What's it what's what have you heard? I've heard I've heard some pain management stuff. I think you guys have have stats on that too. I've heard pain management stuff. Mm-hmm. I've heard that red hair and blue eyes are the most it's the most rare combination in the world, which I am. You are the most rare You're in so the world. Special. Born. <laughs> I also heard we could be extinct. What? Yeah, in, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, so many years or something like that. I love that stat. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Wait, extinct? Oh, like it'll... Like no more redhead yeah. blue eyes. Who's, because Who's doing the math on that? I don't know. The internet. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Somebody in their basement. Uh... Cool. <laughs> Somebody in their basement. That's that's it. I mean, what? very, very scientifically accurate. I'm sure. <laughs> what, wait, did, did you find a scientific thing about redhead? What, yes. What was the myth that scientifically we need? They need more anesthesia because of their pain to- level of pain tolerance. So I don't have I don't have a big pain tolerance. No, that maybe you need more. Yes, correct. You need more. You have a high. You you need okay. more anesthesia because you have a less pain tolerance. Oh, that's what the internet says. How do we is, test this? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm sure there's some interesting international game shows that <laughs> could be created from this premise. One thousand percent. Yeah, I like. I it. mean, like all of us, I only know my experience, so I don't know if I have a higher or low pain tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. How do you compare that? I don't know. No. How does anyone compare it? You can. You yeah. have that old chart of the happy faces going sad for pain. Yeah. The one to ten. Yeah. If your sad faces. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your know. sad face could be my mm. uh, face. Right? That is it. That's fair. Mm. Mm. Matt, well, let's just say redheads are magical. Let's yeah. just say I it. Mean, <laughs> it has been said. It's true. So Mo didn't be known. Well, um, I do want to mention that in this poll that we conducted, we had an amazing representation of people with different diagnoses and on their way to find a diagnosis. And that is the kind of conversation we on Flow do support. Mm -hmm. Just talking about it is how to help learn from it. Sharing what you're going through with us is very welcomed. We have a Calendly link. You can schedule some time. If you'd like, we'll help share your story on Flow and help other flowers figure out what's going on with their flow. (laughs) Anything else to wrap us out today, ladies? You should call us if you're using two tampons at a time. You should sign up because that's that's a little excessive, my friends. Right? Like that's have you ever done that? Thank God, no. That sounds like my own personal nightmare. So I feel for the people that are having to do that. And there's people that we conducted the poll who didn't know that wasn't normal, right? right? Because that was their solution and self-prescribed treatment. Right. Um, Wait, so what is the most extreme thing you've ever had to do for your period? Let's go on an outro question. I know that, like, I have conducted making pads out of, like, tissues and toilet paper. I've done, like, some science origami to make a pretty decent substantial. 1,000%. Yeah. The toilet paper adventure, 100%. I would say in the opposite fashion is using a tampon that wasn't the appropriate size and how painful that can be because mm. I was a new bleeder. Um, like mm. but it was 
I think I've shared but, but my first adventure into a pool while on my period and my mother just handed me a super tampon and I was just a, a 15 year old, I think, or maybe even four, 14 and nope, wasn't needed. And we all know what happens to super tampons when you get in a pool, right? Like, yes. Ah, uncomfortable. And if you don't know, they just fill up and it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Cool. That and redheads are magical. Do you have any extreme period solution you found? Yeah. Um, I think this will be shared with everybody. Just um, figuring out sleep. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. How yep. to, uh, yeah. <laughs> how to how to curb how to barrier yeah. for sleep and what you know could be healthy for my body to not use tampons all the time. Yep. Um. You know, I I found it was it felt healthier for me to like free bleed mm-hmm. at night. Now there's all these cool you know built in underwear mm-hmm. things that ha- that you know feel much better. But at the time it was a pad situation, yeah. and the leakage and the the embarrassment because you know when you're dating, mm. um, you know some of that type of of stuff was my was like the biggest thing. And I didn't even have an extreme, you know, bleeding. I had a fairly quote unquote average cycle, but you still like those first two days are, you know, awful, right? Usually thumbs up. Yeah. Two thumbs Giving up to the gush. Thumbs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two thumbs up to the gush. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about it many times. I don't know when we're going to get with like a prototype creator. We want to create a flow mattress pad situation. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be like a flow period mattress pad? Yep. Get on it, world. Come on. Yeah. That would be Come great. on. Someone yeah. reach out. Come on. Come on. We want to do it. Yeah. Yes. I also have to mention I have someone who wants to give us a story about some amazing period sex. So maybe <gasps> a future episode coming back to what you do on the bed. In all departments, yes, whether yes, you're yes, gushing, yes, yes. sexing, how that yes. works. Let's talk. I would more about actually it. love that because that's something we should normalize and yes. like normalize with your partner. I have, I have a, I have a few stories like in dating world where I felt just an exorbitant amount of shame, and yeah, we should, yeah, we should we normalize should, that. We conversation. should absolutely normalize it. Yeah, yeah. Sarah yeah. Watson. I am yeah. into that story. <laughs> Let me hear it. That sounds amazing. Please. Well, then that's what we're gonna come back with. Cool. Get ready whoop, whoop. for some period sex stories on Flow. That's it for now. Check out our program notes for how to get in touch with us. Amy Board, thank you so Yay, much for Amy, flowing with you. us every month. This is behind just a the joy. Scenes. We should just do this all the time. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Done. We'll see you next month on Flow. Flow is produced by Bloodstream Media. Big shout out to our creative director, Amy Board, and to our editor, Alex Watson. New episodes will be available the second Thursday of every month. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>